Welcome to The Sugar Science. We are talking today with Jessica Gibson. She is the CEO of Ariel Precision Medicine, and she has a lot to talk to us about today about genetic risk and also sort of what she's doing at Ariel. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you, Monica, for having me today. I'm really excited about the work that you're trying to advance, and I think that there's a lot of alignment what we do here at Ariel Precision Medicine. I co-founded Ariel with Dr. David Whitcomb, who was Chief of Gastroenterology, Hepatology, Nutrition at UPMC for almost 18 years and is a global expert in complex pancreatic diseases. And my background actually came out of most recently the pharmaceutical industry and saw a lot of gaps in the way that we're identifying these patients. And we really focused on treating and managing symptoms, but the promise of a precision medicine company like Ariel is to identify high-risk patients early and intervene before a disease becomes established and chronic and irreversible. And we've done this focusing on pancreatic diseases. And that's something that we look at both the importance of the endocrine and exocrine pancreas. And that's something that I'm really excited to discuss with you today. Fantastic. Thank you for that introduction about what you've um, you know accomplished so far. I'm curious as to how Ariel might interface with uh, type 1 diabetes research and even with clinical trials? Yeah, so we have clinical genomics laboratory and the way that we've approached this space is a little bit different than the traditional genetic testing where you look for a single marker that causes a full disease. But when we look at diseases like pancreatitis and diabetes, it is very heterogeneic. And we know that there's a combination of multiple genetic factors, multiple components of an environment, event, or lifestyle that can contribute to when a disease turns on and the rate at which it progresses. And we are using mechanistic complex systems modeling to be able to almost reverse engineer what we've learned working with clinicians across the space. And while we've initially started in pancreatitis, we work very closely with some experts that are endocrinologists that often don't look into the exocrine pancreas, but it's also very critical when we look at the islet cells floating inside of the tissues of the rest of the organ. Yeah, I think you have a, a deep understanding and expertise in this uh, in the pancreas as an organ. And to my mind, it just sort of makes sense that maybe T1D would be another disease state that your company could really address and bring more clarity to, I guess, who is at risk? When are they at risk? Uh, what are their underlying genetic fragilities? Yeah, I do. I think that that's the point at which we are now as an organization. And over the past five and a half years, we've really been able to uncover these combinations of factors that are driving individual patients to develop a disease. And I think with type one diabetes, you know, it's, it has to be comprehensive. You have to look at some of the modis. You have to look at the variability within that patient population. And with the effort of working collaboratively across the community, how do we get to an earlier identification of these at-risk patients and use what we know about their unique drivers to target better therapies and better treatments? So let's talk about polygenic risk scores and how they might benefit T1D treatment because your company is very well-versed in polygenic risk scores, correct? Yeah, I do think that um, the current narrative is that polygenic risk scores are the next step, but they're really a 
uh, at this point, kind of a crude tool because they're agnostic to the region in which um, the biologic process is occurring. They're often looking at each um, variant as equal impact. And what we've seen in our work um, looking at dysfunction of the exocrine pancreas is that you can have three variants that occur in different um, steps in a biologic process, different mechanisms that independently are neither sufficient or um, meaningful to cause disease. But if those three variants affect the same process, then you start getting into a level of dysfunction that tips over that disease burden. So where Ariel is really trying to facilitate using our technology to move beyond polygenic risk scores really is into mechanistic dysfunction and recognizing that different patient types may develop a disease for different reasons. And that's why we see such um, variability in age of onset and rate of severity, rate of progression. And we need to start using you know, these types of population tools to identify these high-risk patients as early as possible. And then we have the runway to start using um, other methodologies to identify when and if a disease process has initiated when it's still addressable. Yeah, agreed. And um, even now they've, you know, um, th with the advent of uh, uh, tepalizumab uh, and its treatment for early onset type 1 diabetes, prolonging the, the time uh, till full-blown full, full blown, um, uh, diabetes, type 1 diabetes, it, wouldn't it be nice to be able to discern who's who's on the way to um, you know, two antibodies or even on the way to one antibody, like an early, early, um, uh, an early, early way to do this. What, I mean, do you have any sort of like hypotheses or, or just, I, I'm not even a hypothesis, just sort of like a, uh, an idea of how you might build something like that? Yeah, we actually, um, when you think of population screening, you know, we start this as, as early as newborns when they do a heel stick looking for things like cystic fibrosis. And um, we recently worked um, to contribute some um, kind of customized data from our platform to a population screening tool developed by Thermo Fisher. It's the base precision medicine population array that was used in the UK Biobank. It has custom content from global experts looking across many diseases from the world. And something like this could be essentially a one-time screening tool to identify pan disease, what an individual human may be at highest risk for and what they're not at risk, at, what they're at a lower risk for. And that gives you the lead time to start um, being more cognizant of things like you know risk for type 1 diabetes and um, that gives you the runway that time back that really currently isn't available in um, our healthcare system today yeah it's a real personalized medicine approach and i guess you know today uh, we saw the role jdrf's rollout today of the full population genetic uh, testing where they're offering the testing for autoantibodies to just anyone for 55 dollars you can send in um, your, uh, you know, finger prick sample, your blood sample, and, and be tested for autoantibodies with the, um, their premise is that, you know, a lot of people are out there sort of carrying these autoantibodies and, and have the potential to progress. But you're kind of saying, let's pull back the time clock even earlier. Let's look at, you know, what the genetic risk factors might be 
And um, I think that would be, you know, fantastic just to know, look, okay, my kid may have this risk factor and maybe I could work more closely with physicians, endocrinologists to um, mitigate risks. Um, you know, once those are identified, I guess, environmental risk, maybe, but maybe just even sort of like be uh, first in line to get, uh, you know, the teplizumab. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's something, you know, that uh, also could be studied in the laboratories. Uh, scientists could, uh, once people are identified, they could have a, a closer uh, way of uh, tracking them clinically. So I do think you're what you're talking about offers uh, just a, a more granularity, right, to understanding uh, the patient from a, a very early time point, and in, in course, in type one diabetes, the time the timeline is is almost everything because the, the progression is so different. Um, yeah. yeah, I I think that um, what we've developed. Um, within our platform is really useful for researchers to get a better understanding about the patient types that are similar and the patient types that are different. And that, that visibility really provides the first framework to start aligning treatment based on that group's mechanistic dysfunction. You know, if you've got, you know, we look currently very broadly at the HLA region, and you can have a variety of consequences if there are dysfunctions in there. But I do think that um, the a more comprehensive, broader picture has to be brought in. That is one piece of a much larger puzzle where you need to look at the convergence of multiple factors um, in a single human. And the alignment of treatment shouldn't be agnostic to the driver of the symptoms, which is kind of the way that we approach it. We see symptoms, we see these antibodies. And I think that an opportunity with something like this um, you know, population array is that you create a, an enriched context. If you know patients at high risk, that would alert that family to use something like antibody testing. You have a higher pretest probability that that biomarker, that um, antibody test is going to accurately reflect a disease progression in a high-risk patient. So that increases the, that pretest probability with that enrichment approach. And I think that that's something that's currently lacking in the way that we approach these things. It's almost too late uh, by the time that most of these patients and their family are alerted to the disease. They've had um, progressive symptoms that may be independently vague, but then you start seeing the constellation, the emergence. Um, and I think that that's something that tools like this can be used both by researchers and create the evidence to link this immediately into clinical practice, into clinical medicine. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I heard a talk uh, by uh, Bill Hagopian at, um, you know, um, University of Washington, and he was talking about the fact that the UK Biobank um, used a 67 SNP um, type 1 diabetes um, generic risk score pan, uh, it was a panel, and it's a pretty inexpensive test. So they were screening people using this. But how, uh, how would your panel compare that you, that Ariel might be able to develop? 
So right now um, in our current clinical offering, as we look at a disease, a complex disease like pancreatitis, we actually offer full gene sequencing, which is for patients that have disease, we don't wanna know what's just commonly seen in the general population. We wanna know what's, what's in that specific patient. We want to know the combinations of factors that um, accumulate in different biologic processes to uniquely drive their condition and provide insights to care providers. I think that that same methodology that we've been using has provided a framework to start looking um, at higher level SNP analysis, where we can use the interrelationship between discovery, like what we're doing with full gene sequencing, and um, how you impute from those SNPs, essentially the processes that they can impact. You get into haplotypes and you start mapping those out, which can simplify the complexity of this already very complex approach. Um, But a screening tool really gives you a purview of focus for individual human drivers or the the drivers within their own biology and their own system. Yeah. And then you can sort of start, um, you know, very early sort of uh, grouping patients into different, you know, haplotypes or different, um, I guess, different buckets basically. And then as they, as they go out and maybe present uh, the very first autoantibody, then you've even, you've just captured that early snapshot then and there. Uh, so that's, I think that'd be pretty powerful in the research realm. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, we're starting with this large, um, volume of data and how we use that to almost reverse engineer earlier and earlier identification, earlier and earlier, um, alignment of effective therapies that are going to show a delta in preventing progression. And I think um, as we look at complex diseases, the failure rate for some treatments has really been frustrating because often it's, you know, we know that there's this heterogeneity, but it's been treated almost as a single disease and a therapy may work in some patients and not others. And the, what Ariel has developed is the ability to um, provide more focus on um, which mechanism of action of a treatment may be appropriate in one patient and may not have efficacy in another. So with that enrichment approach, we've really created the runway to start um, more, a more sophisticated approach to aligning interventions relative to that patient versus general to the population. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I really appreciate this whole personalized approach and it's a lot of work uh, to get, you know, the, all this assembled and ready for um, addressing disease states. So I wonder, you know, if, if a researcher is listening to this and is very, is sort of interested to talk to you about some kind of clinical program or some kind of research program, um, you know, w- are you open to that conversation or what are you thinking? Absolutely. So um, you can check us out at aerialmedicine.com. We are in the process of actually opening up research services using um, this 800,000 SNP Thermo Fisher um, 
population array. It does have custom SARS COVID content on it, but what it also has is um, information that we know is important to um, complex pancreatic disease. Aerial, we actually put on information that um, we have unique insights to from our network of medical advisors and global researchers and experts to really start shortening the gap in which um, these research insights can start having a meaningful impact on you know, patients with diseases. So check us out at aerialmedicine.com um, if there's interest in um, utilizing either our, um, you know, the screening tools, the um, targeted sequencing, um, we are open to that. But we, depending on what the question of the researcher is, we have a lot of flexibility in the type of data that we could digest. If there's existing whole genome sequencing data, we can provide some meaningful insights around that. So um, we are really open to collaborating um, with researchers to really start making meaningful progress in this field. This sounds so uh, exciting, uh, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm sure you're um, gonna have some people reaching out to learn more about what it is you're doing and. Um, possibly uh, partnering and I, I wish you all the best. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Monica.